Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Medfield College Film Society. I am Jeff Crawford, and I'm joined by my society members this evening. Robert McSwain, how you doing? Uh, checking in here at Charlotte. I'm doing pretty good, all things considering. Yes, I might add that now we are caught up to kind of the present day. Uh, the last episode was recorded very early on. Now we are kind of in the middle of this stay-at-home uh, COVID-19 situation. So Michael Crawford down there in the eye of the Disney hurricane. How are you doing? <laughs> Life is like a hurricane here in Orlando. Uh, I'm good. Just uh, hunkered down like everybody else. Yes. These are interesting times. Good times to watch movies and talk about them. Very uh, true. Definitely. Definitely. Andy Brown. How's it going up there? Hey, it, things are doing well up here in the beautiful Western North Carolina mountains. We're just out and about shaking hands and, you know, having get togethers and parties. Yeah, it's, it's good licking times. things. Yeah. Licking stuff. But, uh, but you know, I, here's my question. The last time we left off, Jeff, you were headed to Brazil. I was, I headed there and I was there and, uh, then I got sent back. So, uh, so we were doing, I uh, edited the Flight of the Navigator show down there, and right around the time we were about to send it off, we got sent back because uh, they were shutting down travel. So we had to come back, and so we're back in the States and not in Brazil. So it's kind of a bummer, but we're glad to be here at our house while this we, all is happening. We are glad to have you back, too. Absolutely. So, yeah, who knows what... What kind of podcast things will happen? Too bad we'll never hear what the uh, the apartment would sound like, but it was very loud. And towards the end, they were doing uh, protests with pots and pans every night, so that wouldn't have worked for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. They Here left we... that part out of Three Caballeros. That's right. I will say I saw a few uh, Jose Carioca uh, pieces of art while I was down there. Um, I was hoping to get Michael a piece of swag with Joe Karaoke on it, but I never found it. So, anyway. oh man, I had meant to ask if you'd seen anything because yeah, I know he's, like he's a guy down there on walls uh, at playgrounds and and the like. <laughs> he's he's there. It's cool. wild. Wow. Um, Michael, yes. what are we what are we watching tonight? Tonight we are discussing the 1985 Disney classic The Journey of Natty Gann, oh, yes. directed by Jeremy Paul Kagan, written by Jeannie Rosenberg, and starring Meredith Salinger as Natty, uh, John Cusack, and the great Ray Wise as her dad, Saul Gann. I know, a, and a, a very hunky Ray Wise. Yeah, right? Smoldering, maybe. Smoldering. Really? No, Definitely, he had the smolder, yeah. Yeah. for real. Um, in his uh, pre-Leland Palmer days, and well, Jed the Wolf as himself. It's funny, real quick, that I, I, we've been watching Mad Men, and Ray Wise is on Mad Men as like salty old Dow Chemical guy, and then I turn it on, and there he is. Um, yeah, Ray, Ray Wise will always be, I, I always remember him from an A-Team episode. Oh. He was the bad guy of some like Chicago, he was trying to clear out a bunch of uh, apartment buildings in Chicago and the A-team had to go up against them because they were trying to get rid of B.A.'s mama. And that was, just, that was a great episode. <laughs> I will get that sucker, get my mama. Yeah. That is perfect casting. 
That is yeah. perfect Ray Wise casting. He was in everything. I mean, he was in Jake and the Fat Man. I mean, <laughs> Jake wow. and the all, Fat all Man. All those great 80 classic shows, yeah. Yeah, he was Jeez. all over the place. Yeah. Well, so this movie came out, very, you know, one year before Flight of the Navigator. What can you tell us about this time and anything about the kind of context behind this movie coming out? Because it's so different, but there is some kind of similarities uh, as far as the culture of the company. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's interesting. I Watching this, I thought this is a kind of movie that would never get made today in a million years, I don't think. Uh, This really sort of um, like a period piece, just kind of, it's, you know, not a big franchise, not a big, you know, action adventure. Not a movie that's already been made 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Not a remake. They may remake it, uh, but they would not make it to begin with. Um, This was a period where Eisner had come in and, had really wanted to amp up live action uh, film production. And so you may have noticed silver screen partners too, in the credits, which is something you will see a lot in credits of this period, which they put together. It was like a financing thing. They put together these silver screen partners. Um, Mm. It was like basically raised somebody once said it was like, you know, every dentist in LA who wanted to get in on the movie business, like chipped in money (laughs) to like, silver screen partners and it was a way for eisner to raise money real fast to make a lot of movies and so they just started uh cranking out stuff and uh you know you see these sort of family movies about like kids on big adventures like you see in flight of the navigator you see in this seeing a lot of other movies at the time and it was just part of their uh their ploy to just really kind of up the quality and up the number of stuff that Disney was putting out. It's interesting. I mean, like you would think that this movie had to cost some money to make. I mean, it's a large scale to it and the, all the location shots. It's, yeah. It's a gorgeous movie and yeah, uh, definitely. yeah, all the period stuff. Cause all that I, you know, I tried to figure out where it was filmed a lot of, I mean, the outdoor stuff is all Canada. It's uh, like British Columbia and Alberta. And I think a lot of it was just filmed in Canada. I tried to figure out where all the interiors were shot. And, you know, the like it's supposed to be the, the start of the film is allegedly set in Chicago, like where they built those sets. And I couldn't ever find out that level of information. Uh, but, it, yeah, it doesn't look cheap at all. No, no, there's some big time shots in this. Especially the, yeah. especially the the Chicago scenes, I mean the logistics there are are unbelievable. Yeah, I looked up the production credits. The art direction, uh, the art director's name is Michael Bolton. Oh, which I, well, which like I the Michael was Bolton is he amusing? Not the Michael Bolton. He's uh, a fan. Is he? He must be related to him then. Uh, the or costume he's big, designer. He's a fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big Natty Gan fan. Uh, Albert Wolski, who was the costume designer, actually got an Academy Award nomination uh, for this. And the cinematographer, uh, Mr. Dick Bush, uh, was a British cinematographer who did a lot of stuff for Blake Edwards, did a lot of British stuff, had a kind of weird and interesting film resume, but uh, some really some really nice camera work and stuff in this. And I might add that James Horner did the music to it, and it was kind of the beginning of a you know a huge career for him. Uh, and 
It's interesting that the director didn't ever do much. It kind no. of feels like the beginning of something for a crew, you know? Yeah. He did a lot of television, a television work. And I was really surprised that he didn't have more of a film career than this. Right. I mean, he did some other things, but nothing. I mean, this is probably the highest profile of them all. I have a question. Did did this movie, did it come out in theaters? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I didn't remember. I, re- I saw this movie a long time ago when I was a kid, but I remember watching it on the Sunday night, Wonderful World of Disney. And, uh, and so I thought right. I was just curious. Right. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. We may have seen it a couple of times. Cause we I guess saw it a lot on the Disney Channel, now. as we yeah, always say. Yeah, it was Definitely. Well, give us kind of a brief synopsis here, what we're talking about, Michael. Like, uh, well, so set in uh, 1930s, uh, begins in Chicago with uh, Natty Gann and her dad, Saul. And uh, it's the Depression. Things are not looking good. So he heads out west uh, to take a timber job, uh, cutting lumber. And she goes on a quest to find him, traveling from Chicago to Seattle, and adventures along the way. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny. This uh, you mentioned that it's it's produced by you know it's Eisner's kind of coming in trying to get these the quality back up. It feels like a return to kind of the epic Disney movies of kind of fifties, sixties the big live action movies we just watched uh swiss family robinson today it feels like you know not that quality but production wise it feels that way it also feels like yeah. kind of look ahead to these movies in the 90s that's what it kept me making me think of like um a river runs through it legends of the fall type epic with all the scenery and the james horner you know he was involved in those things too but it kind of felt a little ahead of its time and a little bit of a callback to um you know, a, a past era. Right. Cause a lot of the movies we've been watching this sort of late seventies or the seventies Disney fair. Most of that stuff was shot on the lot, uh, shot on back, back lot and, you know, stuff, stuff done with like rear projection and I guess blue screen or whatever. Uh, this one was on location, very clearly shot on location and, uh, something that they hadn't been doing for a while. And, uh, so, you know, what you said about looking forward to things that were coming, uh, I think a lot of the Disney live action stuff in the uh, early 90s was a lot like this. In fact, the writer of this film, Jeannie Rosenberg, wrote White Fang, uh, which yes. was another Disney live action movie that was very similar to this and also, uh, you know, shot out in nature. So With the same dog. Uh, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Same huh. dog in it. Yep. Jed was in White Fang. Oh, he was also in the, the thing, which I yes. found fascinating. Um, I had forgotten about the live action Huck Finn, which, uh, and then that shipwrecked, which uh, Disney Plus reminded me of. We might yes. have to do shipwreck someday on this show. But was that the one with like the gorilla? Oh yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that. Well, one. we need to think about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is interesting. Anyway, before we get into this movie, Andy, have you you said you've seen this a long time ago, but it had been a while, right? 
It had been a while. It was one of those movies that I, I have a, a sister who's four years older, and it really she loved it, and she watched it over and over. I remember sitting there watching it, and remember recognizing John Cusack. Mm-hmm. Just make simply, I remember him from like you know Better Off Dead and those movies, uh, but it I didn't really leave an impression. Uh, so it was nice to kind of revisit it again. And uh, give us your non-spoiler reaction to it. It was okay. I mean, <laughs> I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was fine. I, you know, there were some parts that were really well done. There's some parts that I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is a Disney movie. Uh, so, yeah. It was, I it was think okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I said, there's a movie that would probably never get made today. Man. I think they could make it today, but they would have to change some things. But it wouldn't be an exact remake. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, no. Well, there's no uh, Freaky Friday surprises then. No. All right. Well, let's jump into this thing. Robert, take us from the beginning. From the very start. So the opening credits, I mean, uh, the music, Horner, I I mean, blew me away in this. I really enjoyed the the soundtrack. Um, You mentioned uh, that he had done some other stuff, Jeff. Uh, um, River runs through it, which I was sort of thinking, this sounds like the same soundtrack, or at least, you know, had similar themes in it. Right. And and you, there we go. I was right. Yeah. But. He also did Willow. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I think I did see that. Did he I was looking really? at some of- he did, yeah. And Braveheart. Wow. <laughs> you know, the thing, I mean, and I, I, it's an excellent score, and it's it really holds up the uh, kind of expensive, epic feel of this movie. But uh, it also, you know, I found out that he had been, had all this uh, plagiarism kind of accusations about huh. uh, lifting from other themes. And this one, to me, that main theme sounds so much like the To Kill a Mockingbird theme from Elmer Bernstein. And it, there's like a lot of it that's from that. And I couldn't read anything about that being an accusation. But that's not to take away from the rest of it. It's all great. Uh, but, I mean, I love the To Kill a Mockingbird theme. So I enjoyed all of it. You know, it's really great. Well, to that point, uh, it's very interesting you say that because uh, this was actually... Horner's score was a replacement score. Huh. Uh, the original score for the movie was by Elmer Bernstein. Ah! No way. Bam! Whoa. Uh, Nailed it. So you killed it on that. <laughs> uh, they dropped that score, had uh, James Horner redo it, but I was... Wait, who is replacing Elmer Bernstein? Come on. Right. Real. Right. And I thought wow. after I saw... I read that after I saw the movie and thought that he was doing a riff on Bernstein. Yeah. Very totally. clearly. Right. Oh, Elmer Bernstein's one of my favorites. So the movie uh, opens with just a, a black and white grainy picture that just plainly reads Chicago, nineteen thirty-five. We see a man holding his daughter. It's and I just sort of um, you know, you would assume that if you took U.S. history, you'd know nineteen thirty-five, heart of the depression. They're standing in line. Clearly, hard times are 
you know, a, a happening right now. You know, and I can always, whenever I see movies like this, period of movies, especially in the Depression, I think back to my grandfather because he would have been twenty, he would have been twenty six in nineteen thirty five, and um, my paternal grandfather, and he uh, basically was a drifter during that time. He was just traveling between Richmond and Atlanta, and just hitchhiking and walking. So, I mean, there's so many elements of this movie that we're going to get into, and I, I kept, you know, drawing back. To what my grandfather was going through because I heard a few stories. There weren't a lot that was kind of coming out of that, that generation. They didn't like talking about it. If you remember, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. nobody wanted to talk about the great depression because I mean, it stunk clearly. <laughs> and, um, but there were some stories and I'll, I'll ping back to that throughout the, as we go through this run through here, but it fades up and we're in a room and this is kind of confusing to me. I mean, maybe you guys can kind of explain it to me, but you know, everyone's sort of, I'm assuming this is like a union meeting. These people are all kind of gathering around. They're complaining. Uh, I'm assuming that they've been furloughed or laid off and the ones that are getting work are only getting about 25 cents a day. So Natty Gannon and her father walk in and he's clearly a leader here because everyone wants to hear what he has to say. So he walks up and starts kind of, you know, saying that, you know, I've talked to the, the management. And again, I'm kind of still kind of confused at what's happening here. But um, then Natty just sort of has, I'm going to, you know, waves at some of her friends and then leaves. And, and she, next thing you know, she's in a, in, a, in a bathroom, men's bathroom stall with two boys. And they're sparking up a cigarette, which. Old Louie seems, and Frankie. Yeah, yeah. old Louie and Frankie are in <laughs> in the bathroom stall with Natty and, uh, it, you know, and they're smoking a cigarette, which I mean, it's the 1930s. I don't think smoking in public at any age was really going to be frowned upon. So why didn't they just, you know, step out to the back of the room and, and light one up. But you know, who knows, but the Disney plus did put a warning up in the upper left-hand corner. that said that there was, uh, you know, depictions of smoking in this movie. Right. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, that's one of, like, Bob Iger at Disney, like, one of his big things is, like, there can't even be any smoking in, like, any Disney movies now, like, at all. And it's, like, a big, like, bugaboo for him. Hmm. So I was thinking of him in in this. Uh, he, he was sweating somewhere. It <laughs> made Natty me think smoking of, in the boys' room. Yeah, it made me think of, I just watched uh, the Goofy, uh, where Goofy plays basketball, the animation. Yeah. And at the very beginning, you know, it says, talks about tobacco warning. And then the very first shot is two guys lighting up a cigarette together. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a lot of smoking in those cartoons. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. But they're clear, they're in the basement, or at least in, on, on the floor below, because they keep looking up and they can hear uh, Saul, you know, muffled talking and getting everyone worked up. And then it cuts and he says, uh, we want to work, we need to work, and we have a right to work. And then that her friend, it prompts her friend saying, boy, your dad's really getting them worked up. And then we have sort of this weird exchange where the other, uh, I can't remember if it was Frankie or the other guy, says, you know, my dad thinks your dad's a red, which immediately, you know, prompts Natty to punch the guy's lights out. And, yeah, uh, she really laid one on it. Cool. Yeah, What's a commie? Was. I don't even know what a commie <laughs> is. <laughs> but it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's like I, it, it seems like it's a union meeting and they're trying to get people jobs and that now is a bad thing. Well, I looked yeah. it up and I did some research here. And I mean, I could find a little bit of information about, but evidently there's a lot of people who felt like people who were trying to unionize or form unions 
where there was um, this movement to try to make them look like they were communists. And that's, but I couldn't find like anything like definitive, but there was uh, like organized labor was communist. There was this feeling then, because there was this divide evidently amongst people that felt like, you know, a job's a job, you know, you should go out and work and, and, and get paid whatever they pay you. And then there was a group that's saying, you know, we want rights, we we want this, that, and the other. And then like, so there's a lot of people that were arguing. So, I, I mean, that's the kind of the, the puzzle I put together that, that you know, her friend's dad is one of those people saying that, you know, we don't, ha we don't have a right to go and tell the, the employer what we want. We should be fortunate to be getting a job. Um, so, well, I, yeah, I thought it was weird. Like I can see like the company people are obviously going to say they're communists because they want to smear them. But I thought it was weird that like they were at the meeting. So it's like, they were at the meeting where everybody right. was like mad. Right. So it's yeah. like, why are you saying that? Cause you're here too, you know? So all this really did, I thought, was set up the fact that Natty's tough. I mean, it, that she can handle herself, that uh, this fight and this whole scene. Um, so the first five minutes of the movie, we have established now that Saul is a leader. Natty's tough. The mother's gone, but we don't really know where. And the depression stinks. So <laughs> <laughs> Work is hard to come but, by. And work's hard to come by. And uh, communists are afoot. So Natty and her dad live in this boarding house, and it's run by this sort of loud, obnoxious woman. And uh, I've seen her in a few other movies. Um, I believe she was in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. But yeah, she. I she, looked her up. Her name's Lainey Kazan. I looked her up to see, and she was in that. And she, I seems like she's in a lot of movies playing the same character, pretty much. Sort of. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, sort of obnoxious kind of a uh, lad i just want to say what is it with all right so the this this era in which we all grew up the 80s what is it with movies with like homeless waifs depression era homeless waifs being looked over by like skanky terrifying like <laughs> middle-aged women because i feel like that's like, like a annie. theme like yeah. annie yeah uh was like the same thing mm -hmm. and then this and then like even like uh, I, uh my brain goes to santa claus the movie for another story of a modern day sort of like homeless wave girl like why was that like why was that in the zeitgeist or just the homelessness in general you've got trading places yeah uh, i mean there's yeah. uh, there's other lots of other 80s movies about something rags to riches kind of thing or something like that. Yeah. I don't get it. Just the depression era, like terrifying middle-aged woman is, was like a big, a big meme for some reason. I don't know. Anyway, I thought this scene was nicely set up though. I mean, they're coming up the steps there at this boarding house and you see, I mean, just people just sitting around with nothing to do. I mean, I, I thought it set the depression up historically nicely here. I mean, and, and I loved how they shot it. It looked, everything was kind of muted because, I mean, because all we know about the depression was, oh, the pictures are from black and white. So we don't have any color references, like real color references. So you, you associate the depression with black and white. And I thought they kind of went down that road and gave everyone muted colors and um, whether it was accurate or not, but it sort of fed into, I think, our vision of what we see as the Great Depression as people who didn't live through it. Um, yeah, they found a lot of really skinny, long-faced dudes 
like as you were saying about these guys standing around they found a, lo- a lot of guys who look like depression guys <laughs> <laughs> so the next day saul gets a job offer in washington state as a logger and now he's out kind of running around town and uh and he can't let her know so he leaves has to leave immediately so my question uh, did you interpret that they gave gan the job in washington to kind of get him out of chicago uh, so he would stop arguing for wages. I mean, that's kind of what I kind of felt like maybe they were, they wanted him out of the picture, like the, the management did. So they were like, well, maybe we should just give him a job and ship him off to the Washington state to get rid of him as quickly as possible. I you mean, know, I had never thought of that before until this time I watched it. And then I, I that crossed my mind if that was the case. Uh, because I, I thought it was strange because the way they set this up is, you know, he's been a labor agitator. Um, then they're all standing outside, you know, it's the scene from any depression movie. They're all standing outside like the back door of the hiring office and the guy comes out and is like, you, you, and you. And there are like 50 guys and they pick like three. But then he picks Saul Gann. And I'm like, it seems weird to me. I was like, ah, it's weird that they would pick him since he's like a thorn in their side. But then they give him this thing where like, oh, we got a job for you, but you have to go across the country and like never come back. And you have to go right now, and uh, this is your one shot at it. So maybe that's yeah. I never thought that until I watched it this time, and I've watched it. I watched it maybe a year ago, and, it, and like I said, it didn't really occur to me until I was really kind of studying it this time. But there are a lot of just amazing period shots. Uh, I think they shot these scenes in Vancouver, but I may be wrong. Um, but lots of Model A Fords. There's a really good Duesenberg that Natty's riding on the back of. Just kind yeah. of yeah. That was that, good. In the by. rumble seat. Yeah. And uh, so there's just, I mean, the logistics to setting these shots up, because they're all like, I mean, you know, practical. And I'm I'm always reminded of this, of a scene, not to get too deep into the woods here, but uh, from Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they did this big wide shot in, um, was I think it was Morocco. And Spielberg said that they had to go through and take down every TV antenna, like for like wow. a three in three miles. <laughs> all the way around this wide shot just to make the shot work uh, because they couldn't digitally remove them back then. And uh, so I'll look at these shots and, and especially when they go wide, I think about how much did they have to go through and set dress that one shot? Cause I don't think it was shot on a back lot. It'd be, I think it was shot in a, in a, in a on a location somewhere, but I mean, it, it may have been a back lot, but if it wasn't, then it, that's it's really impressive work. Yeah. I thought by the set and just designers. to round up all those cars and everything. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mention uh, while she's while Natty's like playing around town, uh, she meets up with her friend uh, who runs a uh, kind of a junk stand, and it's Scatman Carruthers. Yes, the great Scatman Carruthers. Oh yeah. Also, uh, another uh, Disney alum was Scat Cat in the Aristocats, <laughs> and Jazz in the Transformers. Yes. Yes. No way. Yeah. yeah he was. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Which is just so bizarre, yeah. <laughs> so and, and Nat- Natty's also she's also she sneaks in to see a a Mickey Mouse film. That's yeah, right, yeah, right. That's right. What what was the film? Does anybody know? Well, Jeff looked this up, and it's uh, Two Gun Mickey is the name of it. It's an old black and white Mickey short. Looks from like that it was era. A, it was released December the fifteenth, nineteen thirty four. Ah. So okay. if it's 1935, though, that bears the it's, question. It's going to be early in the year. Yeah, were they running reruns or? or I guess it, I mean, it, I it looked like stuck it, around for a while, you know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, 
So Saul has no choice but <laughs> to, uh, to take the job or he'll get blacklisted. So he has to split and he convinces the creepy boarding lady to uh, keep an eye on Natty for her. Connie, that's her name. Connie. Connie, yes. Yeah. So Saul jumps into a kind of a cool looking bus, I'll add, for the air. That bus is awesome. I love that bus. So that bus uh, is, they have those at Glacier National Park that go to the lodges. I've seen some. And I I wondered if like they got it from there. I mean, they're the exact same buses. I, they have to have, yeah, because that would have been that area. Uh, they would have been in that area shooting. Striking, yeah. I mean, because where else? I mean, I, I remember looking at those buses going. I've never seen a, a bus like that. Where do they find this this bus? So that answers it. I think I think you're probably right. I would I would say so. But I also want to know like why is he? Who's taking a bus across the country? During oh, this man, time, that would take forever. It would take forever, and, and I'm going to get into this later because I found a big, I thought was a big plot hole here. But uh, I mean, everybody took the train. If you're going anywhere beyond, you know, a hundred miles, you were taking a train somewhere. So well, they didn't even have any good roads yet. I mean, yeah, in a lot of places they were unpassable. Yeah, especially like going like from Chicago to Washington you would be going through probably the worst place to have any roads. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are all logging roads through there. I mean, it would have taken them forever to get through there. So anyway, Saul travels across the country. I think it's a great sequence, though. Beautifully shot. Lots of, uh, I mean, scenic shots of the Rocky Mountains. I'm assuming there's the Rockies in Canada. And yeah. so Natty's left alone with Connie. At the San Marco Hotel. Yes. <laughs> There's an interesting shot here, though, and it kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of the Grapes of Wrath. I thought, you know, they're coming, Saul's coming across the country, and he sees a car broken down. And there's like a, like almost a dozen people standing around this old, you know, big sedan with like loaded down. So it's just, you know, you hear stories of people like just getting in cars and just traveling across country trying to find work and just piling everything they could into a car and just trying to make mm-hmm. it. And, um, but, just another little, you know, depression era. I thought it, there's little these little nuggets throughout the movie. I thought were really nicely placed. Just uh, the, they give it some realism, and um, so at this point, Natty's contemplating riding the rails. She's pretty miserable. She goes to her friend. Uh, I can't remember the, what was his name. Scatman uh, Sherman. <laughs> Sherman. Was it Sherman? Sherman. Sherman. Okay. So <laughs> Sherman. She goes and finds Sherman and asks him if what he knows about riding the rails, and he immediately tells her she'd be a fool to do so. That uh, there was so there was, there was some really was like yeah. Oklahoma Slim or something like that got his throat cut or something. There's like for his shoes. For his Fats shoes. Chessman lost both legs. Yeah, there's some really great names there. I thought I kind of chuckle at that. I love that they do this though because it sets it up for like a lot of the stuff that comes later that. You re- you know it's dangerous when you see it, but you don't realize just how dangerous it actually is. So they're kind of setting up for later, like, you know, all right, these are the stakes of, like, what can actually happen to you while you're doing this crazy stuff. Like, you can, like, get terribly maimed jumping trains. So there's a great shot here. I love this shot because it, it goes wide. It's really high shot, kind of looking down on the market. I mean, and there's, I mean, again, if they shot this on a back lot, it's still good. But if they shot this on location, it's amazing. I I mean, I thought just the set was great throughout these, these scenes here, but just a little, a little nod to the the production designer. 
there's a lot of historical moments here, but um, as Natty's leaving, uh, there's a crowd gathering, and her friend, was it Frankie? Here? Yes. So Frankie is uh, is getting evicted from his house, and there's a fight that breaks out with the cops. Um, so I want to kind of interject again, you know, that our, our grandparents all lived through this, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, that uh, but there's just uh, there were so few stories about anything, like, you know, and um, my paternal grandfather, like I mentioned earlier, loved to tell stories, but he never talked about this time much between 1929 and 1939. And we used to always mm-hmm. joke with him that we called him the dark years because he was such a <laughs> storyteller. And I know you have a, a paternal grandfather that was a storyteller as well, uh, Jeff and Michael. Um, but like I said, we always joked with him that those were the dark years because he never talked about it. And I don't think he talked about it because it wasn't really fun to talk about. Um, yeah, I would but, imagine so. Right. Uh, our, our grandmother loved to talk about things that weren't fun to talk about. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a different story. So it would come up occasionally with her, but you know, I think especially where where they were up in the mountains of North Carolina, probably wasn't much different from regular life. You know, depression was like if you were poor before, you were still poor. You know, so I, I don't really know, but. Uh, yeah, so, I know that's a lot of, I mean, it's, it marked these people for life. Like a lot of people from that generation would still, you know, hoard food, hoard money, didn't trust right. the banks, uh, you know, all the way to the end of their lives because it yeah. it left such a mark. So I got a question here. What, like how much time do you think's passed between, cause we're now sort of at the point where Natty's about to, to split and leave Chicago. I mean, uh, I can't the, imagine much time will have passed. Because she's looking, she's checking the mail for something from her dad. I mean. Oh, well, that's a good point. Maybe it has been some time. And But then at the same time, they, they only show like roughly, I think two days have passed before she's. So, but, you know, it could be this one of those movie making things where they decide to kind of play with the time. But um, it, they only show two days. And I assumed it was two days. But then I started like trying to like figure it out and then she's waiting for mail so you'd think it may have been a week or two but yeah you know. it seems like it happened really fast but you'd think in real life it would have been a little bit longer she's also picked up this dog during this time and yeah, kinda, uh, and, you, and you don't really see the dog much during, she's like just outside hanging out but i was always wondering where, where's the dog yeah i kind of <laughs> glossed over the dog because i mean i think the dog only thing it really shows is that she has this sort of affection for animals but right it didn't really, I didn't feel like the, the puppy dog that she finds really drove the plot much beyond that. So I kind of intentionally glossed over it, but yeah, it sounds like she, from what, from what, uh, scat man says, <laughs> it, she's always picking up animals. It sounds like, cause he's like, not again. So it's, yeah. it's a theme that becomes evident. See, but it was really confusing to me because when she does actually leave town, she leaves the dog. And so I, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, here's the dog from the cover of the of yeah. the, the movie poster. And, and it's so funny because I, I, just to piggyback off you, Andy, because my dad, I remember watching this as a, as a, as a kid on the, on, on the Wonderful World of Disney. And I think that was like the first time we saw it. And my dad going, that's not going to be the wolf, is it? Because <laughs> we, we, we see the cover. I remember I just, it's burned in my memory. My dad like skeptically saying out loud, there's no way that turns into a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking she the same tra- thing. I was like, that's a terrier for sure. She so, traded up. 
<laughs> but uh, Connie decides to ride her out to uh, Child Protective Services or the orphanage or some, or some you know agency, and she's on the phone, and Natty overhears her. And uh, next thing we know, Natty's springing the coop, which turns into a, a theme that we see throughout the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rolling yeah. Stones. Connie totally rats her out. <laughs> I think that, you know, speaking of Saul being a red, I think this movie contributed to me being being a commie. I was like watching it. I was like, this movie is why I'm such like a pinko like commie because like everybody, like all the adults are awful. Like the you know the police are like evicting her friends, family, and like beating them in the street. Yeah, and then like all the, the like the prisons are corrupt and like everything's. I'm like, man, this movie radicalized me. I didn't even know it. They were, uh, yeah, throwing out some, uh, the man was heavy in this. The man, man was heavy handed. <laughs> She's about to leave. And then you see Connie putting on makeup at night. And I was just wondering why is she putting on makeup at night? I guess cause she's just lonely and she needs I think there was, a, there was the other scene where she was like singing along. It's like, must be a hobby of hers where she. She's like, kind of like gets dancing. dressed up and tries to be a showgirl. It's yeah, very I kinda, bizarre. Kinda got the impression she was just lonely. Yeah, that, that was my interpretation. <laughs> she did. She did have a, a good word. She used the word bullcrackers, which I really liked. Yeah. When she yelled that one. Yeah, she's fussing at, at Natty, and she yeah, she says something. Yeah, bullcrackers, and so. Well, she <laughs> says she's gonna make her pee her pants. She's. <laughs> She's, she's not a nice out. lady. I mean, yeah, you're going to be so scared of me. You're going to pee your pants. She drops some profanity as she's walking down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah There's some swears in this, man. We're 20 minutes into the movie here. And we finally get our call to action. So Nat- Natty's setting off on her journey. She runs down to the rail yard and she's tops the first train she can get. And she almost falls into underneath the wheels. So it kind of goes back to what uh, her, her friend uh, Sherman was warning her about, about getting her legs cut off. And uh, lucky for her, John Cusack is on the boxcar. And he reaches down and pulls her up into the boxcar. And we're introduced to John Cusack for the first time. And he proceeds to wail on the harmonica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blows a mean harp. It does. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up Act One, as far as I could, could tell. But I, I got to tell you, though, I, I was kind of hard to kind of distinguish where the acts kind of started and stopped in this movie because it it felt kind of like a lot of small stories kind of pieced together. Mm-hmm. It's um, super almost, episodic, yeah. Yeah, it really felt like it could have been a miniseries, like a TV made-for-TV miniseries. Um, but I felt like this was sort of the end of Act One. She's leaving Chicago, and she's on the train now. So the start of Act Two, we finally see Saul again. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I want to say that I liked this movie as a kid. Like five year old Robert loved it because it had trains in it, and you could put trains in any movie, and five year old Robert would have loved Robert. it. And 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 forty year old Robert is still going to like it because it's got trains in it. But but I'm watching it now as a father, and I'm like going, "Come on, Saul, 
you're just now writing your letter. How long have you been? How long did it take you to get to Seattle? And now, could you not pick up a phone? Could you not have done something? I mean, (laughs) what's going on? My hands were tied. I had to take the work. (laughs) My hands are completely tied. (laughs) So I I feel that's so bizarre of like, you know, and, and now thinking about, uh, maybe he was being pressured into it. Maybe it was kind of a uh, kind of trap for him. But uh, you know, th- the fact that we've kind of glossed over the fact that he had to leave that day and couldn't even see Natty before he left, to the point where she, you know, there's yeah. just so much mystery to it, and it's like, who who would do that? Who would just not see their kid? Yeah, I think. I mean. It- the more I, th- I watch it, I mean, I think they should have played the angle of a trap more. I think it would have made the, the plot stronger if, if we would have, yeah, if we could have seen maybe that there was some scheming going on behind closed doors with management to let's really screw Saul and, and, and get him out of here. And uh, either he won't take the job, but we can blacklist him, or he'll take it and have to ditch on his daughter, and, and, and you know, and it'll just be bad all the way around for this guy. So. Yeah. Well, I think the blacklist is an important part of it because the guy does tell him that, like, if you don't take this, you're never going to get right. work again. Right. Right. Yeah. Basically. Right. And then he actually says no. He goes outside yes. and he sees the guys, like, all starving. And he's like, oh, on the other hand. Right. Maybe, right. Maybe right. not. So back on the boxcar, Natty is awoken to, we mentioned it earlier, that John Cusack. And let me, let me ask a question here. Have they said what John's name is, his character's name at this point? Or is it just... I don't Man, think he's introduced himself yet. No. Okay. Yeah, not yet. So he's, uh, and also, is he playing the harmonica for real? If he's not, he's doing a pretty good job acting like it. But yeah, um, Andy, you're a musician. Jeff, you're a musician. What do you What do you think? He's wailing. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. No, I, I, didn't, I don't think I didn't he's put much it. thought into it. <laughs> okay. I, I don't. I don't really like the harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> so so natty hops off a very tra- specific context <laughs> <clears throat> so natty hops off the train and that's it for john cusack we don't see him again or, or for see a you while later. yep <laughs> so he, he gets roughly <laughs> what maybe about two minutes of screen time at the very beginning of the movie and then right. and then that's it and um and he's but he's he on, does he's on the cover of the of the of the box you know the video box i remember like like he was like a headliner like they're supposed to make this about you know that he was the star but we'll see him in a little bit yeah he's he comes um, back but you know it's it's a while it was his vehicle but, uh, robert that's the term his vehicle <laughs> so, <right>. sorry <laughs> he does help her get on and off the train which is very yeah. important at yeah, this point so he's, in time he teaches her a little bit about riding the rails. So Yeah. Kind of fends off a couple of shady looking dudes. So Natty finds herself in a strange new town. And what do you do when you go to a strange new town? You go find the first you go find a dog fighting ring. That's the first thing you do. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. That's, I mean, that's you know where where groups uh, hundreds of men are yelling at the top of their lungs, just so, go in that. So warehouse. That is Break a good his place legs. to go. <laughs> she walks into a warehouse and there is a dog fighting ring going on. Like, uh, and I remember just thinking, yeah, I was watching it going, what, why, you know, is that the first thing you do? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ask the concierge at your hotel where the, the closest dog fighting <laughs> ring is. Is this a union meeting? Oh no, it's a dog fighting yeah. ring. <laughs> this was the first moment though. When I would, cause they show the dog fighting, they show the drinking, they show just the men just being just awful. And then I was like, wow, I cannot believe how rough this is for a Disney film. Yeah. 
Yeah. I said, you don't see many dogfights in family films anymore. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And then that, I was like, how in the world did they film this? Today, we were watching like a, two dogs fight a tiger in Swiss Family Robinson, and you can kind of figure out how that was done. But this, I mean, it is wild. Yeah. Cause they're tussling. Well, there's some crazy. I they, mean, yeah, there's some, some, I was thinking that too. And also, I mean, and, and in Swiss Family Robinson, there's some, some crazy animal scenes in that. But I mean, but this is, yeah, this is yeah. 85. And you, you know, right, it's a yeah. different time. Uh, in the credits, you know, it does say, you know, there are no animals were harmed. Certain scenes were simulated. I was like, well, what does that mean? Simulated. Oh, bullcrackers. Simulated dog fight. Bullcrackers. I'll tell you what, I did notice something here in this scene because so they, they release the dogs, so they start fighting, and the guy that releases the dog, you see him in the frame and he sort of inches his way around the back and he's making hand signals. Like, and I, um, he, he had to have been one of the trainers and he was signaling. To the dog, I guess. I mean, I mean, he was making weird hand gestures, and it's because I, I, I just happened to watch him as he was leaving, and um, and he was you know, paying real close attention to the scene. So he was probably one of the dog trainers. And I do know that uh, Clint Rowe, who trained uh, the wolf, uh, was the man with the whip uh, in the in the in the, the oh, next couple. Really? Of, so um, he was uh, he was the dog trainer in the movie, um, the lead dog trainer. The hand sign for sweep the leg. So, <laughs> so, so Jed the dog here is introduced. Put him in a um, body bag. <laughs> and we mentioned it earlier that, that Jed was in several movies. He was in John Carpenter's The Thing. He was in White Fang and White Fang 2 with Ethan Hawke. Um, so that was. He's a wolf. Yeah. So. But he uh, he played an alien or something in in the thing I, I believe mm-hmm. yeah um, an but alien dog so crazy anyway I just who is betting on a dog against a wolf that's what I was saying <laughs> yeah what was the line on that one I wonder <laughs> <laughs> it must have been good money because <laughs> when the dog when the wolf wins they're like oh I'm like really <laughs> are you oh surprised? man I can't believe it. <laughs> Because the wolf is like twice the size of the other dog, right? So the wolf, it's like a Doberman, yeah. The wolf gets loose here and uh, it runs to the door, and Natty swings the door open, and lets the dog out, and uh, is promptly backhanded by one of the creepy, mean old men there. And, yeah, and, and gets, the line for the record is, "You dumb kid." <laughs> <laughs> she gets clocked a couple of times in this movie. Yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah, rough yeah. on old Natty. It's here. a rough world out there. So the next scene here is uh, we finally saw, finally picks up the telephone. And uh, I'm, again, I'm watching this going, come on, man, pick up the phone. Why, why are you just now ca- calling Connie? So he's trying to call Connie and did, he asked, did she get the letter? And, you know, and he can't understand what Connie's saying. So the question here again, I make speak up, Connie, speak up. Let's assume that the, U- the United States Postal Service operates as efficiently as it does today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mail a letter from Washington, from the middle of nowhere, Washington. It takes maybe three days in today's time to get to Chicago. So, I mean, how many days has it been again? I mean, so it, ha- it had to have been like several weeks. Yeah, you'd think it'd be a while. So, but yeah, I just, yeah, I just kind of felt like there was some, some plot holes and some logistics here that they were kind of tinkering with. It was getting on my nerves a little bit. 
So Saul finds out that Natty's run away. Natty is chilling in some prefab cement pipe as this is sort of happening. And uh, as they cut from that scene and she's going down the, down the rails on this uh, prefab pipe uh, through the rock. But we missed that. We missed her encounter with the wolf after she let the wolf out. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, I missed that part. So yeah. So she's goes to the box car and she's trying to find a place to stay for the night. And she sees the wolf, um, and he ain't too happy to see her though. And, and I was just wondering, how do you train a wolf to act like that? Right. It's so terrifying. Like, what do you do to make that happen? Like, I know, like I've watched a documentary on like, was it Bart the bear, the big giant grizzly bear they use in every movie that needed a bear in it back uh-huh. in, in the nineties. <laughs> and they, and they just trained Bart to like open his mouth and like show his teeth <laughs> And, and then they would just add the sound effect of him, you know, roaring. And it was kind of uh-huh. comical. Like, like the trainer would just say, you know, he'd say some command and Bart would just like, like yawn really loud and like big. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but with the dog, like he's putting his fur up and he's snarling. Right. I mean, so there's some. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's like a mean snarl. So we quick, also didn't wow. mention, well, because she gives the first time she runs into the wolf she gives him a little bit to eat but she had gotten food it's like a dorito or something (laughs) she's got (laughs) some doritos she got but uh the scene where she gets food out of the trash can which was scarring to me as a kid yes big time big time which goes into the The hobo theme another santa claus the movie trope yes (laughs) i was gonna say that it's very santa claus the movie two two santa claus the movie references in one podcast well just like little hobo they all have their little same hobo outfit with like the the fingerless gloves you know yeah yes the hat hat. yeah hobo standard and eating out of the trash (laughs) but that yeah, that was one of the things that I remembered from a kid being like totally vivid. horrified by. Yeah, vivid. Jumping back to the wolf, my question though was, why would the wolf leave dogfighting and go like, "Ooh, I'm going to go jump on that train" instead of the wolf <laughs> running good, somewhere good else? Question. There good question. is a lot of questions about why the wolf was doing. I think throughout this movie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to cover here shortly. But yeah, yeah. the wolf liked so, trains. So yeah, maybe he was yeah. like five year old Robert and liked trains. Like, I bet this so. thing's headed out west. I'll get on that. It's going to get me out of here. I'm jumping on this thing and getting out of this, blowing this town. It smells <laughs> like freedom. So she leaves like it looks like like maybe some salami or something there for the wolf or a Dorito or a Dorito maybe and um <laughs> and <Funny>. he's a <laughs> and uh, so that's her first kind of peace offering to the wolf and then she goes and makes uh, makes herself comfortable in this pipe and <laughs> so she's heading down the rails through the Rockies and uh oh we got a train wreck and let me tell you guys this was like the worst most poorly shot train accident. I think I've ever heard, seen in a movie. <laughs> the same, this ain't no fugitive, man. This, the fugitive right. set the bar and this was way <laughs> below it. So. Well, this is like what happens when we have like antique trains that we can't actually wreck. And we also don't right. have computers. <laughs> so they, I mean, yeah, they have this, oh, this old rolling stock. I mean, and you know, and then antique trains, they can't do anything with, but, um, so yeah, there's, I think you hear like the train lurch, you never see the train, the, the locomotive or anything. And then you hear like a crash and then there's an explosion off in the distance, but you don't really see it. And yeah, they the frame thing, it like really carefully. So you see the explosion, but you don't see what's blowing up. And the, tr- the chain pops and that goes rolling off in her prefab pipe down the hill. 
and she climbs out as everyone's running and things are blowing up and we see the wolf leap out of a boxcar as well into the woods. I will say we always like to point out where uh, actors in a movie appeared in other Disney things. And uh, one of the two antique locomotives in this movie uh, is one of those uh, appeared in the uh, Jackie Chan vehicle, Shanghai Noon. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say like the great locomotive chase or something. No. (laughs) You went went Jackie Chan on me. Some very devoted train person had a very detailed post about this train online and how it appeared in, in the hell of a train. Moment. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask Thank you, they didn't blow it up, Robert. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why. I mean, it seems like they should have, but <laughs> the people online were very exercised because it still has the Canadian national railway livery instead of the, whatever it would have been, you know, U- union, union Pacific, Pacific or whatever. Yeah. So we get a nice shot here as Natty sort of like runs off into the woods to get away from the train explosions. And she sort of, I think, comes to terms. All of a sudden she's alone and doesn't know where she is. And, you know, I think it's a sort of a, it was a nice little shot there, but. Mm-hmm. And she's in the middle of nowhere. Like that would be freaky. Yeah. Like you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. And chalk it up to a kid, but man, she just keeps walking where like, yeah. Follow the train track, homie. So this way, I mean, this whole sequence here, like the next sequence, as an adult, I, I start kind of checking out because I'm like, it's just, it's, it starts losing me. I mean, so the wolf starts to kind of keep an eye on her, and yeah. brings her know, rabbits like Gollum, Smeagol. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf has become the Gollum character here. <laughs> it's true. Oh man. So true. <laughs> So the, she eventually, like, there's a thunderstorm, like, okay, so he brings her a rabbit, and, like, and there's all these scenes of her, like, seeing him. like off Well, the you want to talk about another scene that stuck in my memory, another one of those vivid scenes that, like, freaks you out as a kid. Like, her having to, with her little pocket knife, having to, like, skin and clean that rabbit. Yeah. Was one of those, like, oh, my God. <laughs> so she finds herself <laughs> in a cave, and, and the wolf shows up, and... And she kind of like yells at him, like, I'm not leaving. I'm not going back out there. So deal with it. And she's, she's made a fire though. Where did she get all these outdoor skills? And I was wondering that too. Like she's like, she's hardcore, man. Streets of Chicago. Streets of Chicago coming down to make a fire. She made it in a barrel there. You know, (laughs) she can do it anywhere. (laughs) So she wakes up in this cave and the wolf is like sleeping with her. And that's another training moment. It's like the wolf has this really sheepish look on its face. Yeah. Like he's like, this kind okay? of like, like a is dumb this... grin. It's yeah. so funny. <laughs> he's like, cool. this but is great. Like, how many, like, what do you have to do to get like a child to lay down on a wolf? It's just, yeah, it's just wild. So now they're best friends. Uh, and they're like the next scenes, like they're running through the countryside laughing and playing. And, you know, and I'm not, like, I'm watching this going, where are they running to? Like, I mean, just going, man. They're just going. Head into the sun. And Jeff, I was going to the mountain range. I was thinking, like, you know, if I was chasing my childhood dog through the woods, uh, there's no telling where I would end up. Like, <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, who's to say the wolf isn't leading her to a pack of wolves? Yes. You know? like, yeah. in the world. 
right into the kill zone. So, the, but there's nice music though. It's really great music. Oh yeah, that that's very uh, emotional. Uh, yeah, triumphant. It made me want to frolic with a wolf if it was safe. Oh and man, I, kinda, I would totally frolic with that wolf. Are you kidding me? And I kind of laughed to myself. I laughed to myself here because like they run up to a river and they start drinking water out of the river together and like you know they're bonding. I'm not going, hey. Come on, it's 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 rule number one when you're with a dog. You always drink upstream of the dog. You don't drink downstream of the dog. So, you know, come on. I think <laughs> it's right before that that uh, she gets like to the top of a cliff and uh, sees the wolf running really far ahead and just drops a drops an s bomb. Yeah, you know? yes. It's like what? What is the point of that? The salty language. I remember being quite shocking. Uh, it's as like pointless as an adult. It's like why would that be like inserted there? So the wolf leads her to a farm now. And like this is where like the movie starts getting like, oh boy. like really disjointed for me. So and like I said, I think I mentioned this earlier. I mean, it starts feeling like really like a mini series. Like this could totally be a made for TV mini series now at this point. But um I think it would have I think a mini series would have made it stronger, but and, you know, they could have done a deeper dive into the Great Depression, but this felt like a little mini series section. Just so a ton of little vignettes subtitled "The Depression was terrible." <laughs> the pre- right. depression sucks, and everyone different, was depressed. Uh, yeah, different context. So the farmer's kind of a jerk that she meets, and his wife kind of. and his wife's pregnant. So <laughs> Al, a farmer Al, a farmer Al, yes. Who's friends with a wolf? So, so yeah, he's a, liar, a jerk, kid. but his yeah. wife is like the most depressing person ever. Looking, yeah. but this person. In the credits, I was like, I know that name. This was Dean Warmer's wife from Animal yes. House. Yes. I was oh. the exact same thing. I was like, that, I know that face, that smile. That's where I knew it from. And so I immediately went and looked it up. I was like, that is her. I couldn't believe it. It's hard times for Ms. Warmer on the depression farm. Yeah, Verna Bloom. Yeah, Verna Bloom's. So Natty kind of sets up shop here this far, but she's helping them plow and and the pregnant wife, farmer's wife, has uh, has some labor issues, and it's just kind of well, uh, yeah. It's like she collapses. She's extremely pregnant and uh, collapses like, in the field. And they're like, "Hey, what's going on?" Yeah. It's like, "What do you think's going she's on?" She's out plowing. She's like <laughs> super pregnant. <laughs> it's like, grab the mule. Grab the mule. But I love they have. She's having this conversation with Natty where like the baby's kicking. She's trying to get Natty to feel it kick and. She's just like, yep, we had another one, but it died. <laughs> it's just like, God, jeez. <laughs> also, like, it's it's rare that uh, a movie like doesn't have the person feel the baby kicking. She's like, nah, I'm not gonna feel that. Yeah, baby. I thought that was fine. <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. Thanks, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and around his point is where we hear uh, uh, the wolf starts howling. He's been watching the whole time, but she's at this farm. And uh, we hear the wolf howl, and he's trying to help the farmer out because there's a bunch of coyotes coming. And the wolf runs in and starts fighting with the coyotes to try to keep the coyotes from attacking the chicken coop. And the farmer wolf got ethics. Yeah, the wolf's got some. He's got some serious ethics here. And um, <laughs> also, how did they film this? Yeah, I agree. Right? That was my question. That looked so real. It did look very real. Yeah, but there's a coyote wrangler in the in the credits. I guess. So they, had they got wrangled all right was it the wolf <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
So the farmer tries to shoot the wolf, and Natty uh, stops him from shooting. And I, I mean, it's kind of kind of a funny like she pushes the shotgun up in the air, and he's like, "You dumb kid!" And she starts like running around in circles around him, and he's trying well, to. Like, he clocks her too. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, and that's it. That's it for the the wolf. I mean, that's for, it for the farmer. I mean, next scene we're back in Washington and Saul's uh, trying to figure uh, figure out what's going on in Chicago. And he's talking to Connie again, and and he finally hears that they found Nat- Natty's uh, wallet underneath a train cr- a wreck out in Colorado. And he makes some comment like, "I got a week's of vacation," which I'm like, "No, no way." <laughs> Right, right. It's like you have to go immediately, but you get a full week of vacation. <laughs> Whatever you <Yeah>. want. <laughs> so. Depression era lumber companies, great on the benefits. You know. <laughs> Real quick on the, the slogging stuff, they have like footage of them like chopping down. I mean, it's, like, it's yeah. amazing footage. Yeah. It's, it looks scary. Yeah. Uh, well, I read that because, you know, I was watching this and, you know, as a kid, you don't question anything. But now, like, because, you know, Ray Wise is uh, cutting down these trees and they've got it set up where they've got like one of those really, really long saws that's kind of in the tree. Then he and another guy are standing on both ends of that saw. Yeah. And they're like cutting. And I'm like, that does not look like a green screen. That that looks well, and they, real. Yeah, and they cut down a giant tree. They cut it, down. It and looks it, really real. In real time. Yeah. Well, he learned how to do this. Uh, and he was up in like 40 foot high trees and the people, uh, like the locals who like taught him thought he was so good at it at the completion of shooting. They gave him a handmade throwing ax and a target. Wow. (laughs) So he must've been really good at it. But yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm like, this is like really for real. And he was cutting down enormous, enormous trees. Right. Cause they're up on that plank. Like, like they have the plank driven into the side of the tree, you know, and they're the two men are standing there. Yeah. And just it, kind of bouncing. And, and, and what swinging. a cool shot where that, yeah, it just goes like the direction of the shot. It's really cool. So I, I don't know how they shot that. Like I was watching that, trying to figure that out too. Like, is this that fake? Is this real? So, I mean, I don't know. It, it was, it was, I yeah. think it was real. It looked real. Nuts. Yeah. Very real. Yeah, and then when he's uh, got his week off, he's like, "What is she doing out in Colorado?" It's like, "Well, she's coming to find you. What, whoa, up? what do you think whoa, she's whoa, doing? What do you think she's doing? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is she doing in Colorado? So, <laughs> <laughs> so now Nat- Natty's running across the country again with her dog, and like I'm asking the question is, how does she know that the dog's taking her to Washington? Like. <laughs> But she's just fo- blindly following this dog. And uh, so Natty comes to this little tiny, sleepy, small town. Which it kind of reminded me of our sleepy, small towns in the North Carolina mountains. And Natty immediately finds this weird gang to run with. Like, that's the first thing she does. So she goes into one town. She finds a dog fighting ring. She goes into the next town and she finds a gang to join. So, And the other thing about finding this gang is that, like, it's just nobody is freaked out enough about the wolf. Like yeah. they walk down there, like oh, what? She's like walking down the street with a wolf. Nice dog. And they're like, they're like, hey, it's a dog. <laughs> oh, it's not a dog. It's a wolf. Oh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we're a gang. It's like, dude, aren't you freaked out about this? So bizarre. 
Yeah, but these guys like step because she tries to hit up a storekeeper for like an apple or something. And he's like, no, get out of here, you stupid kids. <laughs> and, you know, as the theme of like everyone being a jerk. And then they're like, that's not how you do it. We're going to teach you really how to do it. But they go to their little hobo hideout. And these are like hobo hippies. Yeah. Like these reminded me of hippies because he's got Bohemian. his like hippie mama, like the leader guy. He's got his like hippie mama and her little hat. And they're yes. just, he's like, man, we don't need them. We take care of ourselves, you know? Also, yeah, his, like, thing reminded me of the introduction to Morpheus <laughs> in The Matrix. <laughs> 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 and that whole crew. Natty took the red pill. <laughs> oh. You've been living a lie. I'll add that, you know, that they, they do start talking about, like, how they ended up alone, like all of them. And they're talking about, like, their families. You know, all split up, and my mom left, my dad left because they were tired of, of having to split a potato ten ways. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of like dad left because he was tired of mom making a potato go seven ways. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I mean at this point, like, I, I find almost like these little windows into the depression almost more interesting than the movie now. But, um, so the gang decides to steal a bull because that's what you do, I guess. I mean, the, the, yeah, a, it, it seems like there's an easier way to make money. But. I was going to say, that's a pretty complicated endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're willing to steal, just go steal the apples from the dude yes. or whatever. Who's selling the bull? A bunch of kids. Oh, that seems fine. <laughs> so Where'd you get this yeah. bull? How do you fence a bull? <laughs> I know a guy. I got a guy. He won't ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so natty gets tasked with herding this bull out of the out of the the pasture in, into this truck like uh, it's, it's yeah it's really just sort of a bizarre scene so the the wolf obviously helps her and yeah a little bit so <laughs> this is one I, poopy bull too Oh yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I was kind of like going back and forth, like, do I need to bring this up? But yeah, the, the bull was having some problems, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so the wolf scares the bull into the truck, and the gang uh, leaves without Natty because you know they're looking out for one another. And so Natty ends up getting arrested and thrown into a juvenile hall now. Or at least I would assume it's juvie hall. Yeah, some some and sort of. There's facility. like a great uh, interrogation uh, scene where it's like you know the lights are low and she they're like, "Who are your parents?" And she's like, uh, "My dad's." And they're like, "No, you're an orphan. Yeah. You're an orphan." Yeah. This is the like, one kids scene. Lie about not what like I don't. Yeah, this is the one scene I remember. Like I saw this a couple of years ago when it was on TCM for the first time in ages. And this was the one scene I vividly remembered because it was the start of the trailer. Because they put the trailer for this before, like, every Disney VHS in this, like, era. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was like, name, Natalie Sugan. You know, orphan. I'm not an orphan. Orphan! <laughs> so this one, like, stood out <laughs> in my mind. It's it, And to your, uh, you know, indoctrination point, the United States flag is, like, really prominent by, behind him. It's like, the oh, man. Oh, yeah, the you man. Know, like, super the man. 
So, so Natty finds herself in juvie hall now. And after one day she gets tossed in the box for being a rebel rouser out in, <laughs> out in the yard. So <laughs> Twinkie got her in trouble. <laughs> yeah. T- yeah. Her buddy, uh, like starts talking about boys with her while they're doing calisthenics in the yard. <laughs> and, and they, so, so strange. It's so bizarre. Like I said, they, and I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because they're like, yeah, right, we're going to toss you in the box. So she gets, <laughs> yeah, and it's like for real. And again, Ex- as a kid, you just kind of accept things, but now I'm watching it, I'm like, man, that is rough. But like, put solitary. her in solitary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's got the, like the bucket outside. That's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah, never go into a room. It's got a bucket outside. No. No. <laughs> So we cut from this scene, and Natty is uh, Saul's out looking for Natty. Uh, it's because uh, he's got a week off during the depression. Because that seems logical, right? I mean, we could, so yeah. he's using his week's vacation to go out and investigate uh, Natty's disappearance, and he's he, he gets all the way out to Colorado, like lickety split. And what was she doing out there? And he's combing through the wreckage <laughs> of this. Uh, yeah, and he's, and he's like yelling at the at, at the you know the railroad foreman who's you know, giving him a lift out to the the crash site. Oh, but so. let me say this guy. This is another name that popped up in the credits. I didn't recognize him because he's so far away in this shot. Uh, but this guy, Don S. Davis, who was in Stargate, he was Scully's dad on X Files, but he was also Major Briggs on Twin Peaks. Oh, wow. So it's two, him and Saul are two, it's two Twin Peaks future alums in one scene. That's right, right. So Natty gets, so Natty busts out of the slammer now with the help of her friend. What was her friend's name? Twinkie. Twiggy or Twinkie? (laughs) Twinkie. Yeah. Where did she get the tools to do that, though? She's she's resourceful, man. She may have still had her pocket knife, maybe. But she didn't have it. She had a screwdriver and like a claw hammer. Oh, maybe she just, yeah. So, I mean, pinched it. So, I got a question here. Do you think she had a quick trial or do you think she was awaiting trial? I don't know. They said she was in there for, I don't, like, however many years. Like, I assume it was in there till she was 18, I guess. So, yeah, they said three, three, uh, Twinkie years said, you got three years. And I don't, (laughs) I don't have three years. So she decides to bust out. That's kind of where, so. But Natty ain't leaving town without her wolf, though. So she goes looking. Oh, yeah, we should say that when she was out in the yard, the wolf was like getting mangled into like a little crate. And it was the perfect like, come on, get in here. You're out good, you stupid wolf. Get in here. <laughs> and that's what, you know, it, it kind of led me to the, the, the trial question was like, why did they bring the wolf? with her to juvie hall you think they would have right they would have arrested her and said oh she's got a wolf let's get this guy out of here oh let's take her to the trial take the wolf to the trial yeah like i we'll thought they would the have shot that wolf like first yeah, thing that's what i was thinking the wolf's yeah, so, dead at that point so i guess they had the show that he was getting thrown into a crate with this blacksmith sign on the side of the truck so but she ain't leaving town without settling the score so she goes looking for the wolf at the blacksmith shop and um I wonder if Andy has the same note that I have. Probably not. But I always think uh, the last time I saw it and this time, when the blacksmith shows up, I think it's Denver Pyle. Like each time, each time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, oh I can see." It's, yeah, it's the Denver Pyle. It's not. Yes, he's younger, right. but but he he turns around. And he's got that same kind of talk. He's got a yeah. big beard. He, he sounds like Brisk, Briscoe Darling kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. The blacksmith is played by Bruce Fisher, who lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh my god. Call that guy up. 
And he, well, he's in his late 80s now, but he has a connection. What was the TV show? I, I remember he, he was in The Outlaw Josie Wells. Um, uh, let's see, The Journey of Natty Gann. I thought he was in The Dukes of Hazard at one point as well. He was on the 18. Well, maybe he was. And Knight Rider. Let's see. Oh, we got to go drop by Dukes of Hazard. Yes. Dukes of Hazard. Well, was he supposed to be related to Denver Pile then? It could be. Good question. He was Bull slash Buck. Oh, two different characters. Oh, that's always fun. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to go knock on this guy's door and ask him what's going after we're allowed to, of course. Yeah. Because of the situation. Of course. Uh, so, I wonder if he has a deer in his yard like this so, guy does. So yeah, this guy's got a really sweet setup, man. He's got this nice little log cabin and Natty's once again, she's sort of setting up shop with this guy and hanging out and Wolf's hanging out and, and the deer kind of strolling. So is this, this cool? This whoa, is whoa, cool. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about this dude's face though. This dude's got a messed up face. Yeah. He well, had an a, accident. Yeah, he had an accident. seen <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> yeah, this... <laughs> so, it's a depression man so he warns her that she that they're gonna find her though so and that she needs to split again so he, takes he was the... riding the rails with fats chessman <laughs> <laughs> he's a gentle giant yeah yeah he, yeah he's a good dude of course so he takes her down to the uh the river bend railroad station and gives her some money and some food and tells her to get a ticket to seattle and she gives him a kiss, and he's on the on the cheek, mind you, and um, and he kind of like tries to be all tough, but he's all oh, shucks, yeah, all yeah. shucks, daddy, get on out of here. And then he good tells, old Charlie, and Charlie tells, he's like, yo, Wolf, you take good care of her now, you hear? <laughs> and the wolf goes, okay, <laughs> okay. So I got to point out something though. She goes into the train station here, guys, and she says, I need a ticket. And I'm assuming that she's in Riverbend, Montana. And she's like, I need a ticket to Seattle. And he looks at a chart and says, that'll be 10 bucks. Now, $10. Yeah, it ain't cheap. In today's money is $180. I looked it up. So we're, to, and we're talking about going from one state to the next state. So <laughs> to hop a train from, you know, Charlotte to Washington, D.C. nowadays is like $60. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so yeah, there's somebody didn't do their their research. Traveling in style, yeah, traveling on the train in the 1935 was is super expensive. Well, also she brings the wolf into the train station. Another moment of like, what? Yeah, yeah, is it coming with you? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Two, please. (laughs) So my companion animal. The jerk ticket clerk is like, "Hey, get that wolf off my counter, and uh, let me go make a few phone calls." So he goes and rats her out. So she gets she gets ratted out at this point and splits. And he takes her money and rats her out. Yeah, and he keeps her money. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. So he pocketed roughly one hundred eighty dollars in 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 twenty twenty money. So yeah, that guy. Come on, man. So this hall of shame. This leads us to the creepiest scene in the whole movie, guys. The biggest hall of shame. Yeah, this is rough. I mean, what, what? what what did this scene have to do with anything like what did it I... you could cut this out and it would not you wouldn't it wouldn't change a thing in this movie so the, things are rough out there man yeah. are, i mean i think it's inevitable 
it's it's an inevitable like event of yeah it's rough so a guy offers to to give her a lift he's got a nice flatbed most like model a she wolf hops in the back she hops in the car he gets handsy one thing leads to another wolf bites the guy's neck (laughs) yeah i wanted the wolf to i was like everybody needs a wolf i wanted this wolf to go at this guy i mean he is yeah pretty specifically handsy it's terrible just come over and guys i like you you're nice yeah you're nice yeah come on yeah it's like, bad. why are you going to mess with a girl who's got a wolf? And he also wants to buy the dog, too. That's the yeah, first thing he wants to do. He wants to buy the dog from her. And then she's like, no, I'm not selling my dog. And he's like, well, let me put my arm around you here, sweetie. And then, yeah. So. Just being that, friendly. That happened. <laughs> yeah. Just being <laughs> and friendly. That, and that more or less wraps up back to. <laughs> Back in Washington, Saul is chopping down trees. Yeah, it's the, like a boss. Yeah. <laughs> like Let's a boss. just say, the, the very next shot, this is quite a sequence. We go from this, you know, pederast creep guy. <laughs> we go from this guy to this tree sequence of the guy falling with the tree at the top. I mean, that's back to back. That was quite yeah. that was shocking to me. Yeah. Yes. So they have a topper up there. He's trying to top this tree, and the, which is evidently is extremely dangerous. And the tree comes down with him attached, and it don't end well for that poor guy. No, but, but I, have a, I was wondering about this guy because I, he's supposed to t- cut off the top of the tree. When they show him, he's like several feet above where the cut is. So I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah, there was uh, there was a bad cut there, um, but I'll tell you though. But go, go back to what we were saying. The lumberjack stunts were really, aside from that that little gaff there that you pointed out, Michael. Well, were, I don't think it was a gaff. I just trying to figure out like what he was what he was doing because I mean the general idea that they give across is like this is a suicide job that only crazy people, crazy or desperate people do. Right. And so it's like, yeah, you know, that's just how it they goes. Had a term but, for it too, didn't they? It was like a that's a widow's oh, like job. Uh, yeah, it's a, a widow, widow's job. Yeah, widow's job. Widower's job. Yeah, yeah. widow maker. <laughs> so Saul goes up to the the lumberjack um, head of the lumberjacks, uh, friendly fellow. Yeah, and he well, he got like top billing logging boss was what they build him as. So the logging boss. <laughs> That's it. John Finnegan played the logging boss. So he goes oh, up. He to looks J- like a John oh, Finnegan. Johnny Finnegan. So Johnny he looks Finnegan. like a Finnegan for sure. <laughs> so Johnny, he goes up to Johnny and asks him for that job. He's like, "Hey, your topper just died. <laughs> you mind if I take the job?" Man, and, um, not even cold yet. 
Yeah. Well, he was still he was still conscious though. So when they got to him, so that was he ain't working no more. I'll tell you that. That's right. He ain't gonna be topping trees for a while. That was a pretty gnarly scene with where they had that the tr- the fallen tree and like him under it. That was pretty. Yeah. Pretty. I remember as a kid being like disturbed by all that. Like, like yeah. that, that, that was upsetting to me as a kid. And, um, so he wants to, he, he's looking to, he, he, he's trying to, to kill himself at this point. That's, that's what we can conclude that, that Saul. So he, he thinks she's dead. Is that right? Is yeah. That- so Saul thinks that Natty's dead. Um, and he's blaming himself and he just wants it to be over now. So he's trying to find a job that's going to going to do it for him. So we cut. That'd be a good one. We cut to another historical scene, and Natty is strolling down the train tracks, and she comes up to a shanty town or a Hooverville, if you will, <laughs> by the tracks. So they're in this Hooverville, and she's like kind of wandering through with her uh, with her wolf. And uh, did anybody notice the knife fight going on in the background? Yeah. At the Hooverville? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Rough place. So, but I, I got to tell this story, though, because this is like one of my favorite grandfather's stories. So one of the few stories he told from the Great Depression was that he was at a uh, he, he said he was at a soda fountain at a, at a, at a drugstore getting a cup of coffee. And this guy walked in and knifed another guy <laughs> sitting, oh, sitting next gosh. to him. <laughs> That's my sodi. So of course, we all kind of snickered that it wasn't a soda fountain. He was at some bar. Yeah, <laughs> and, probably true. And he didn't want to admit to to his children and to his grandchildren that he was having a drink during the Great Depression, yeah. and, a, and a knife fight broke out. So, so evidently, knife fighting was a real big problem back then. So, but yeah, yeah those so hobo knives. So all the hobos have knives, and they're out there, uh, you know, cutting each other. So Natty decides to steal a pot of baked beans, and lo and behold, look who it is. It's John Cusack. His beans. So he's back, and she's trying to steal his beans. She's uh, lucky and, she didn't burn her hand grabbing those beans off the fire. Yes, and I put that. I said, you know, what in the world was she doing grabbing the, the beans barehanded? <laughs> so <laughs> You burn yourself. She's street so, tough. So, yeah, she knew. She knew she could grab it. She, she, there was no doubt in her mind. She's been there before. And also, the beans are cooking in an old paint can. I noticed that, too. That's good. That's good eating. Yeah. Spice. It was lead paint. The lead makes it sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Sweetens in beans. So she kind of reunites with John Cusack, who I still don't think they've given his name yet. So we're in Act 3. We still know what this guy's name is. is. I, I haven't heard it yet. I just kept referring to him as John Cusack through, through this whole point. So <laughs> that works. So John Cusack's back from Act One and eating beans out of a paint can. <clears throat> so he <laughs> offers to let Natty eat his beans, and he throws her a wooden spoon, and she immediately starts feeding her wolf the beans <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the that's wooden not spoon. Cool. <laughs> so come on, Natty. So and then like this whole scene with the Main Streeters, like he like these guys show up. Like wearing um, 
like Main Street, like Kiwanis hats. Or yeah, something. that's what I was gonna say. I was like, 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 that's like I thought Kiwanis it was. Hats, like the Kiwanis yeah, are coming in. The, the Shriners are here to the take Shriners. you down. <laughs> whacking people with pants. All these good law-abiding citizens. I wish they'd driven up in their little like cars from like the parade. You know, because they roll up in a big truck. But they'd have been better if it'd been like twelve little like. Mm. Yeah. I could yeah, find- uh, talk about things that made me a commie this is one of them i couldn't find anything about main streeters online but that, that i mean there's a few references to this movie but it wasn't a term that that was widely used at least not when you google it i think it was just like local townspeople would go clear out yeah. would like violently clear out hobo camps because they yeah want, <clears throat> uh you know an un, unwanted people around so right go like wipe them out Pinkertons, man. Yeah, that's right. So this is where we get. I think we're treated. To- uh, also, the wolf senses the danger. Yeah, before mm-hmm. it happens. He, by the way, yeah. Just, so he's he has ears perk up, and, and she says, "Yeah, he always knows." And it's got man the ethics on this wolf. Yeah, yeah. just ironclad ethics yes. off the charts. <laughs> so, this is where we're kind of treated to, to some really awesome green screen effects, though. The next shot. So Saul is topping trees now. And uh, so there was, was some it pro- green screen. I don't know if it was or not. I couldn't tell. There definitely was, was some green not. screen at the very, like there's where he's like at the very tip top of the tree. And yeah, you could tell that they, uh, they were on a set and that was a fake tree. He was hugging. Um, it, to me, that's what I, I saw. It was either a backdrop to make look like Washington or it was a green screen. I thought it was a green screen though. Well, it's weird because like he's the only thing in the foreground because he's on the tree and then there's like nothing else. So I couldn't tell if it was just like an optical illusion that made it look like that or not. I don't know. Let's call Ray Wise and ask him. That's right. So there is a a cool show though, right? That's when he, I was going to say, that's when he walks up the tree. Is is, is this the same thing where he walks up the tree then after he cuts off and just sits at the top? Sits at the top, yeah. yeah. But I'll add. That's a cool shot. There's there's a couple of things wrong with that shot though, I thought. First of all, like he tops the tree and he says, you know, Timber yells down to the guys below and you see the, uh, the, the tree coming down, but you don't see him up there at the top anymore. So the tree's coming down by itself, but there's no lumberjack at, at you know, at the tip top there with it. And, uh, at least I, I didn't, I didn't see one. And, I don't know. and then they cut back to him and he's, and he's doing it with an ax. He's chopping it down with an ax, but when he goes to sit on top, it's, it's, it's clean cut across the top. Like it was done with a saw. And I thought, there's no way he's sitting on top of an axed off treetop. Man, you can't en- you can't enjoy beauty, man. You just can't enjoy it. His so, legs were tired, Robert. He needed to rest. Just enjoy the the uh, poetic moment of relief he had. But he used a saw. But he was using an axe. Come on, you guys saw yeah. that. He's very, very ruined everything for me. Very delicate in his cutting. That's right. <laughs> So <laughs> a man uses an ax just like a saw. I've never seen it before. So Natty and John Cusack. So I think th- this is the point where I, t- to me, I think this is the first time she f- refers to him as Harry. She says, uh, she, she says Harry and she asks him a question about what he's, you know, what he's going to do when he gets out West or if, if he's ever been out West. But I mean, if I'm not, not mistaken, I think that's the first time we finally hear his name. So there you go. Oh, all right. So nameless man. So they're kind of hitting it off at this point. It's, and to me, it's, it's really awkward. Like, it's just like, he, like John Cusack keeps kind of like smoldering her. 
it's, it's, it's really just kind of like, <laughs> but they're in a barn, like hanging out, like they snuck into this barn. And I want to interject again that my grandfather said that they would, he would sleep in barns all the time during the Great Depression, but he would just ask. He said, most farmers would be like, yeah, you can sleep in the barn. I don't care. And uh, huh. he said most of them would say, you know, they would either let you do it for free or he said they would do it in exchange for a few chores the next morning. Like if you'd help yeah. them out, like, you know, around the farm for the, the morning and then then he would move on. But he said that was pretty common. So uh, I don't know why they just didn't ask. I mean, Natty walked up to the farmer and asked, you know, so. But they Everyone else the- has been a jerk, so she just gave up. Yeah, maybe so. She's given up on society at this point. So, <laughs> so now comes the most pointless stunt in the whole stinking movie is where they're trying to get on the train and they have a water tower. So they decide to climb the water tower as his train's coming up the, up the line and Harry walks out onto the arm of the water tower that they would fill the train boilers with. And is trying. I don't know what they were hoping to do. I mean, it's got to jump. <laughs> so, <laughs> and there's a scene here where the train comes by, and Jed is standing there next to, to to Meredith. And right when the train passes, Jed shoots a look down to the trainer standing off camera, and he's like, "Uh," uh-uh. and he just leaves the <laughs> shot. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Like, like he looks. I mean, he looks like legitimately scared. Like this huge, like steam engine goes by, and like he looks down at the trainer, and then like backs out, and then just like leaves. <laughs> like, and you don't see him again. Like, nope. <laughs> and I thought they they probably only had about be one or two shots of that. They had to take, and 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 so I thought it was funny that that, that he split. So Harry climbs out, and he's hanging off the end of this arm, and he's trying to tell natty i don't know what they were planning to do i guess drop down on top of the box car yeah uh, yeah um but how are they gonna get the wolf to do it too it just didn't it, it seemed very yeah, the wolf just is kind of magical just kind of does its yeah. own thing you know? i mean the wolf is by far the most capable so you you know that he's <laughs> yeah. gonna do, do something so, and uh i did skip the part where the wolf jumps into the box car uh that was a scene for a couple scenes earlier but i, I just didn't yeah, feel i like love that. that scene so yeah that, yeah. that was another one that was in the trailer. I remember. He's I was going to say, they used it. to show that all it. the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was a pretty cool stunt. But yeah, the, the wolf, they're, they're on a train and the wolf jumps into a moving boxcar off of a cliff. So, and John Cusack kind of gives a sarcastic, hey, he's never going to make it. But he made it. He made it. And uh, so, so Natty dumps the water out of the water tower onto John or Harry. And they fall. Luckily, they fall into a a a car full of wood chips. Yeah, they got lucky on that one. And they got really lucky there. And then they yell for the wolf, and the wolf jumps into the next the 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 car behind it, which is also full of wood chips off the water tower. And there's a scene here, another funny scene where the wolf kind of has some bad acting. Like he runs down to one end of the car and then runs back, and he and he he looks at the trainer, and. Meredith is kind of looking at the trainer too. And she's trying to like, she's patting the ground, trying to get the wolf, trying to get Jed's attention. And, and then he finally like turns around and like, doesn't, I think he was supposed to lick her or do something. There was something he was supposed to do, but he jams up, I guess that the dog did. 
And uh, that's, I thought that was kind of a, a funny gaffe there with the dog. But I just thought it was, this scene was funny just because he's like being a happy dog. It's just like any dog that like pulls off something and then they're like super stoked about it. He's like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> I was, it's just got to be a nightmare working with animals like that, especially when you're like working with a stunt with a train. And it's, I mean, it had to be impossible to set that scene up over and over again. So they probably only had two or three takes they could work with. So, but yeah. So yeah, they're riding on this train and they've gotten out of the wood car now. They're up on top of a, uh, a box car and there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, hobos with them now. And they're heading into this tunnel and they mean, just all these amazing, just scenic shots. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the, you know, the Smoky Mountain, you know, railway. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, I thought about that too. Uh, it's got to be a scenic railway up in Canada that they're using, I would imagine. There is. It's yeah. uh, Well, I think they're just regular railroad is that scenic. It's, it's, uh, they do a lot of like tourism up there on the rails because it's just gorgeous. So we get to uh, Seattle now pretty quickly, and there's a nice U.S. Works program sign in the background, and Harry walks up and gets a job just like that outside of a See? federal building. Fanning, so, fanning my socialism. So the WPA <laughs> comes to the That's rescue. Right. So this love story is so awkward. Like he turns to her and he's like, "Hey." Your dad stinks. Why don't you come to, to, to California with me? She's like, <laughs> she's like, no, I need to at least try to find my dad. And he's like, well, uh, my job leaves immediately. So what's what's going on here with jobs? Like in the Great Depression where you get the job and you have to leave like in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> That's a good question. No time. <laughs> no time to wait. It made me wonder, though, that like was there more to that that they, they got cut? Because it seemed like they hadn't really talked too much about his her dad until then i mean you know he knew that they were anyway it seemed like maybe there was a scene that yeah there felt like there's some there's, there's some some stuff that got cut yeah, yeah. well he's basically saying he, your dad bailed on you so Which forget is about valid. it yeah i wanted to ask valid. you guys what do you what's the age difference between these two she's 12 so, and he's like well, no what, she's like 14 i thought she i thought they said she was 12 earlier in the movie no she's not 12 in real life she was 15 and he was 19 i looked it up yeah okay 15 year so old there's tomboy. a four-year difference she's 15 is what it says here on on, on the wikipedia 15 year old it, tomboy it, natty gan okay because it just felt like he was older than that i don't know for some reason i thought it felt like he was in his 20s uh and she was just and she felt younger that's kind of feel that way yeah yeah well it's i mean because we're used to john cusack being like john cusack you know right. And then she's dressed so tomboyish. It's like dressing like down younger. But yeah, I always had that same reaction. I'm like, he seems older. Right. Uh, so yeah, I was curious as to what the actual difference was. But yeah, it's four year difference, which at that age is a lot. Yeah, it's true. So Saul, uh, is that she finds that there's a, a, a mill nearby. So she goes to the mill without, she says goodbye. To whoa, John. whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. You didn't talk about the kiss. Uh, so she says goodbye to John, yeah, and it's like this awkward goodbye, and he kisses her goodbye. So yeah, there's another cool bus, and uh, with like a like a sweeped tail. Like I, I really, yeah, I was really impressed with that bus. So yeah, we got to figure out where they're getting these buses from. But it was really strange to me that like he just basically bows out of the movie. It's like there's no uh, very odd, very odd. You know, you would think they would be going off to the same place together, but he bows out, gives her a kiss, and takes off. Yeah. 
It's a missed opportunity for sure. And the audience goes, woo. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, goodbye, Harry. Goodbye, John Cusack. It's a wrap on, on John. He's (laughs) off to California to, they didn't say what he, what the job he got, or he just got a job in California. J O B. California. A. San Francisco. (laughs) So she goes up to the mill and then like, is like, Hey, my dad, I think works here. Saul Gann. Sorry. I never heard of him. Like, how how are they paying these people? Like, I mean, they don't have any records of anything. Cash is king. So yeah, I guess so. I mean, she's like a lot of people coming in and out. So yeah, she didn't find his application for vacation where he put in for his vacation. (laughs) That was in a different file. (laughs) Can I speak to your HR representative? Yeah. Oh, here's his 401k. Yeah, he's here. (laughs) And we cut to a scene where Saul's up in the mess tent and, uh, which is really, I mean, that that mess tent's awesome. Like I really want, I I, I want that for my camping experience. I like their like big piles (laughs) of bread and (laughs) bottles of ketchup. Like I want me some bread and some ketchup. And did anybody anybody catch the uh, the the really thick Canadian accent there? The uh, the oh uh, yeah the boss is talking about we're getting ready to wrap it up here, boys. And he goes, "What a boot, Alaska! <laughs> what a boot, Alaska!" <laughs> and uh, then he asked that they need to they need a couple of volunteers to go up and blow up a something. I was real curious as to what was going on here, Insane. what this was. One last job, boys, and then we're out. <laughs> one last heist. Always, always one last job. And it's going to be a doozy. So they need three and guys. nobody to wants to do it. Nobody wants to do it. Handle some explosives, and Saul immediately says he'll do it. But, yeah, I don't get what they're doing, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I don't know what they're blowing up either. Yeah, like we're gonna blow up this stump. <laughs> <laughs> so now one last stump at this movie. It's it's twelve minutes. There's twelve minutes left in the movie at this point. So a lot of stuff has to happen in the next yeah. twelve minutes. Yeah, right, it, right. it's it's fast. Like the next stuff. I mean, it's just there's a lot happening. So Natty sneaks into a supply truck. Dad goes up to blow up the uh, whatever it is stump. The stump. <laughs> We get a nice shot of a nice old timey steam crane, steam powered crane. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Uh, the wolf hears the call of the wild and decides to leave. So, yeah, oh, it's man. so sad. Oh, you wolf know, don't blow over wolves. that, man. Come on, the wolf. The wolf. Like she could have used the wolf. You know, <laughs> a few minutes later, <laughs> he decides to split right there at this pivotal moment. You know, to get her to the end. And um, so she yeah, lets like the wolf- everybody bails on her, and then she's just like alone. So she gets up to the the base camp, sneaks up to the base camp, lets the wolf loose, uh, turns around, and the lady from the down at the bottom who had no clue who Saul Gann was, like, "Hey, I found this card uh, that got returned in the mail, and that's from Saul Gann. Hey, he is here. Let's go get you up to the to the top." And um, she hops into the back of a of a uh, supply truck. And uh, why is she riding in the back? Like, was there a lot of stuff in the front seat? Uh, I I (laughs) I kind of live out of my truck. You'll have to jump in the back. (laughs) You'll have to jump in the back. (laughs) (laughs) She's screaming at him. She's like, can't this thing move any faster than Rick? (laughs) I got a question here. (laughs) I got a question here. So 
the truck, it's, it's a Model A, double A truck, crashes. And she gets out and she's like, can you fix it? He mumbles something. He says, I don't know. Mumble, mumble is broken. And I think so he says the, axle. the, the axle's broken. Yeah. But if the axle's broken, that car isn't fixable. <laughs> this is an I don't know yeah. moment. This is the axle's broken, sweetie. This thing's done. <laughs> yeah. But I think I, I played it back several times. I think he says the jack is broken, which would make more sense that he can't. Oh, yeah, I thought he said axle. But I thought he said axle. But I, I was like, because I, I kind of laughed that, hey, that, that's not a fixable thing. You, don't, you, you do know that, it, that it's not going to be driving anytime soon. So now she sets off on foot. She's hoofing it up the trail, trying to find her dad. And Very she gets dramatic. Up, yeah, lots yeah. of dramatic music. And then next thing we know, old Saul is uh, lighting the fuse. And- yeah, well, they're cutting back back and forth between like them laying down this like uh, nitro, and uh, you know, they've, <laughs> they've got the crates and handling it gently, and like she's running up, and the, they're like laying down the explosives, and it's back and forth, race for time. So there's a giant explosion, and then uh, and the lumber boss is like, "Oh, good lord!" and <laughs> they rush down. And pull a bunch, yeah, we'll pull a bunch of guys out of there. So at this point, we don't know if Saul's dead or alive. And um, I don't think they show him at this point, do they? No, it's a big explosion, too. So he gets, a truck goes by, and Natty's hoofing it up the trail. She sort of glances over and sees her dad, who's just had an explosion go off in his ear. And she's yelling his name. And there's this really awkward look take. That's (laughs) a really good point. I didn't think about it. The fact that the explosion just went off nearby and he can hear just fine. (laughs) (laughs) And she sees him and she knows he's alive and she knows he's, you know, coherent and, and he can hear (laughs) she's screaming, yelling his name. She's running after this truck and then it pulls away and she's like distraught. But I got to tell you guys, this ending really just kind of, it really makes me mad now watching it because, okay, so the truck left. Big deal. Hey, it's another 20 minutes and you're going to see him. You, a, you know he's alive. You know he's going to base camp. You know where base camp is. <laughs> so the suspense is kind of over now. Yeah, but she <laughs> hoofs it down walk. that mountain. She's hoofing it like commando style when he's commando in that movie when he's going down the mountain. That's what she's yeah. doing. Yeah. Because like the, the road is like doing switchbacks, but she's like going straight down. Yeah. Like from one road to the other. Yeah. So she's all distraught. She's like, oh, God, the truck left. What am I going to do? And then we see in the background, you know, he steps into the frame and they reunite. And I think I I was, I made a a joke last night that this was a a real Mr. Miyagi moment here that they could have had. (laughs) Yeah. But. The thing that got me was the shot of the wolf. Like they cut to the wolf is watching them <laughs> reunite. Yeah. The wolf is <laughs> like, yes, I approve the reunion. Yes. And that's what I thought. And we need to do to get rid of the wolf and just have Mr. Miyagi nodding. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a blessed occurrence. I endorse this. <laughs> and we roll credits and that wraps up Natty Gan.
Well, I mean, she they made it. They made it. Yep. They made it after all. What more can you say? He's got a job. <clears throat> They're in Washington. And, Everything's good. That's right. It's beautiful out there. Yeah. Uh, now she gets to uh, bust tables at the mess tent. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stack that bread. Fill. Uh, you know, pair those ketchup bottles. That mess tent really impressed me. I was. I was thoroughly this impressed. By very that. impressive mess tent. Yes. Um. Well, let's. Uh. You can consider that as part of your rating. Because uh, it is time for us to rate using our unique scale. Robert, what is our scale tonight? We have a very unique scale, a very good scale. We're going to be scaling, or pardon me, we're going to be rating this movie on Ray Weiss Smolders. <laughs> Which is really infinite, infinite number. Every scene yes. he's in, he's smoldering. Just, just one of the best Chiseled smolder. Yes. <laughs> Sizzle. <laughs> Uh, yeah cut glass with that stare um all right plot and writing michael what you got so we're, we're on a five smolder scale correct five smolder smolder scale i'm gonna go with a four on this one i you know i know it's an episodic it's kind of uh slow paced uh but i think the story kind of suits that and like i i was I never found it boring or dull. Uh, you know, it's always what's what's around the next curve kind of deal. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was well written. Okay, and Andy, I'm gonna go with a three. Uh, I kind of have to disagree with. I think parts around like an hour twenty, it starts getting kind of slow, and uh, and I was just kind of basically waiting for the movie to wrap up. So I thought that that little, you know, it's hard to finish that that part of the movie. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna have to go with a three. Yeah. Okay. And Robert, what you got? Yeah, I'm gonna go with a three too. There's, there were some sections that just, I, th- I thought started dragging pretty, pretty bad. And then, um, I thought some of the stuff with the, the wolf was just super Disney, like over the top. And it kind of, it kind of hurt the plot a little bit in the writing. I'd say it with you and the wolf, man. Yeah. I don't, you don't know, like man. wolves, do you? Wolves is the best part. <laughs> I agree. The in the scenery. The, the train was the best part, guys. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's so um, sweet. I'm, I'm actually gonna go lower. I'm gonna say two. Oh, uh, really? Because, yeah, I love the premise and the setting, but the uh, I just feel like there's so many missed opportunities. I mean, I feel like the the Harry plot line. There's a lot of things that are just kind of. I don't know, maybe two is too low, but just for the sake of argument to even it out to a three, maybe I'm going to get a two. Um, I think it could have been a lot better with a little effort Yeah. Um, on the, on the writing front. Well, it's super unconventional. Like the way, like the way Harry drops in and out and the way everything is like, I understand why they didn't want him there all the time because it's like her facing, you don't want him bailing her out the whole time. Right, right, right. Uh, so it's kind of a hard, thing but yeah it's it's an unusual structure for sure and points uh points deducted for the s-bomb that had no place in there yeah. for, for no reason um all casting and i will take this first to redeem myself and i will say that i thought the casting gets five i thought it was great uh and that the, you know they found young talent that was excellent ray wise perfect um I have no problem with the casting. 
Andy? I agree. I thought it was perfect casting. Five. Wow. Michael. Also five. I think Meredith Salinger is awesome. And John Cusack's always good. And Ray Wise is, you know, always good. So he's agreed. Yeah. Everybody was great. How could you not give Ray Wise five Ray Wise? I would holders? be scared not to. Yeah. Um, Robert? I'm going to go with a four. I, I didn't. I, I liked I liked Meredith. You didn't like Ray. the wolf, didn't you? You didn't like the I wolf. I was going to say, it's the wolf. I liked Ray. <laughs> And I mean, and the wolf was good. And I thought, I mean, the, the scenes of the, the stunts and everything were great. I just thought that John Cusack didn't, uh, his character just didn't do a lot for me. I, th- I thought it was, it was, he, he, he was pretty flat at times. So that's what, that's where my four comes from. Okay. Which brings us to acting, which is kind of in that same realm. Um, Robert, you want to stick, we'll stick with you. Uh, acting again. I thought, uh, I thought Meredith, acted I mean, I thought her acting was great I thought, I thought she did a great job um again i think my complaint is the chemistry between her and john cusack um it just i mean i guess john was trying john was doing a lot of movies at this time and uh a lot of like kooky teen comedies and um and i think this was it, his first non-comedic role so he was trying to step away a little bit uh and i I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't work for me. His acting didn't work for me in this movie. So uh, it wasn't bad, like 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 Gus bad, but it wasn't great. So I'm gonna go with a four. Uh, Andy, what you got on acting? You know, I'm I'm torn. I, I, I like I said, I I really thought the casting was well done, but just because it was a good cast doesn't exactly mean that they the parts were acted very well. Um, again, you guys said, you know, I thought Meredith did an excellent job and there's so many parts that I thought were very well done, but at the same time, I thought I'm, I'm with you. I thought Cusack, um, could have done better. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go a little bit lower than you, Robert. I'm gonna think I'm going to put a three on there. And I, I agree with that, uh, for the same reasons. So we'll go on to Michael. Well, I'm thinking you may have talked me down from a five to a four because, uh, yeah, Cusack is not all that you expect from a Cusack. So, I mean, a lot of that is how it's written. It's not written as a very sort of, um, I don't know, funny role or, you know, a very, you know, high energy role. But hey, I'll give it a four. Okay. And next is production value. I'll start this and say five, baby. I thought this was a beautiful movie. We've said a lot about the music. We've said a lot about the kind of scenery and stunts and uh yeah five robert i think with the exception of a few just one or two shots i uh, it was yeah it was it was up there and I, w- I would give it a five too there was i mean it wasn't perfect but it was close enough to give it a five okay and michael i'll give it a five it's pretty pretty movie andy yeah, I'm gonna because of those few shots. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four. Deducted. Um. All right, and that leaves us with overall entertainment value. I'll start with Robert. What do you have? Um, you know, I, I remembered liking it a lot more as a kid, and I think it's kind of what Michael was saying. You just didn't question a lot of stuff as a kid. Things happen. You're like, all right, that, that's I mean, sure that makes sense. But uh, as an adult, I watch it and I'm going, oh, you know, I'm, I'm questioning like 
where's the letter come from? And I'm questioning the timing and I'm questioning this, that, and the other. And, and just, you know, the 10 bucks for the, um, the train ticket. And I, so it wasn't as entertaining as long story short, and I'm going to give it a three. Okay. And Michael, I'm going to give it a very strong four. Uh, I, I really like this movie a lot. So it, it, it stuck with me over the years and, you know, even though it's kind of episodic and kind of unconventional, like I feel like it never gets bogged down in one thing too long. Like a, a lot of the stuff they're like, Oh, now we're at the farm, but uh, she's only there just a bit. And now we're in the, the hippie gang and that's only, that's really short. So I feel it never wears out. It's welcome. So I'll give it a four. Okay. And Andy, like the top of the show, I said this. I thought this movie was okay, um, so I'm going to go with a three. I'm kind of with you. I want to. I want to give it a four. Uh, I'm actually going to give it a four. Okay. Uh, I think it's really enjoyable to watch. I think there are a lot of problems with the pacing and the writing, as I've mentioned. Um, but you know, it's just so the setting is really vivid and the music is beautiful. So that counts for being a pleasant watch. Yeah. So let's go ahead and plug that into our computer. Who wore tennis shoes, Robert, where did, where did journey of Natty Gan end up? Journey of Natty Gan ended up with an overall score of 3.9. Okay. So that's a uh, C plus in the, uh, moving to the letter scale. Where does that land it? That lands it. Um, Flight of the Navigator was a 4-3. And we are ahead of Freaky Friday, which was a 2-8. Oh, yeah. And hey, the absent-minded f- professor was a f- <laughs> was a 4-15. <laughs> so it's above <laughs> absent-minded professor. It's just, It ranks second behind at the Flight of the Navigator now. All right. Well, we have rated it. What did Leonard Malton say about this? movie michael well let's see what leonard malton said in his little review he says a low-key but entertaining disney film travels smoothly to expected conclusion rich 1930s atmosphere helps a lot and the wolf is great yeah robert yeah robert yeah (laughs) there are just a few scenes where he had to look at the trainer that's all that's it. Hey man, Leonard Malton like the wolf. <laughs> what does Leonard Malton know? Wolves look <laughs> around. Malton. Leonard Malton had, was raised by wolves. <laughs> he had the, he was looking he for trouble. Look, he had like to, a he wolf. Had to look around. He is a little wolfy. Yeah, he's a little wolfy. Can I ask you guys something real quick? Oh, I yeah, mean, please. Don't you think this movie would have been better if there was like a, an actual villain of some sort though? Look, what if there was some villain of some sort that kind of was like either chasing Natty or trying to keep Saul away, something like that. I the think, man wasn't enough for you? you? The, the, yeah. Society's exactly. the villain, man. The man. Yeah. <laughs> they needed an it's actual true, though, character. I, I, I did, did wonder about that, that, if there was some kind of, uh, maybe somebody back at, in Chicago that makes her leave that's kind of tracking her or something, you know, somebody in the background. Maybe that yeah. bear we were talking about, that, that bear <laughs> actor. Bear it could be the bear chasing her. Yeah. Just yawning the whole way out to Washington. Run, running across the entire <laughs> West. Chasing down the bear. Chasing down the natty and the wolf. Yeah. The bear does like a more ridiculous stunt to get on the train after. You know. yeah. um, 
Any other final thoughts on this movie before we wrap it up? This one was in heavy rotation. For, I mean, I, I, like Andy, I think it, it's it's sort of in the, in the same realm as Flight of the Navigator where we recorded it on VHS off of the wonderful world of Disney. And I mean, watched it a lot. I mean, it, and, and it's, I mean, I still like watching, I've watched it at least three or four times in the last five years. So it's not, you know, it, it holds up and it has, yeah. a, despite the wolf. <laughs> well, I, you know, I associate it heavily with flight of the navigator in my mind, because seeing both of them in theaters and then again, in heavy rotation, like you said, and, is just kind of one of those iconic movies to me. And like, as an adult watching it, I'm even more impressed with, because like when I was watching it as a kid, Meredith Salinger's just a little bit older than me. So it's like, Oh, you know, the older kid doing all the cool stuff, but like watching it now and being realizing it was, you know, she was probably 14 when they filmed it, like putting so much of a movie like this on the shoulders of a 14 year old and like her not, goofing up once you know not i mean she has full control like all the way through she's really good yeah it's really is. impressive to me yeah and i it's like i said earlier it's kind of like a sign of things to come especially in the disney canon but it, it did feel like they they did a big push for this when it came out and it was kind of a, a statement by them um and i think as far as just the overall quality of the movie it holds up True that. it's timeless timeless um okay well that wraps up the journey of netigan we have arrived and we have arrived almost at the end of our season the season finale approaches and it is an exciting one robert what is the last movie of the season this our first season i'm i i i'm mauled over this a lot like I, I, a lot of mulling yes there's been a lot a lot of a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure out the perfect movie to wrap this up with. And we went, I went back and forth on a lot of movies, but we finally wanted, I wanted to, something that was really in our wheelhouse when we were kids. And I've decided we're going to do the Rocketeer as our final movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Never seen it all the way through. Oh man. Oh, oh, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces. Oh, Wow, I'm mainly, so the, mainly the Jennifer Connelly part. Well, parts, yes. yeah, well, but uh, that's, that's the it. best part. Yeah, yeah. the Rock of Who? Oh, Rock I love this movie so much. Yes, it was. It was a uh, touchstone for you. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did ha. there. Yeah. yeah, that movie was a big deal for you, and and I don't think I saw the full movie until later. But I don't know. Anyway. I've got a Rocketeer poster on the wall here in my office, and I've got my Pizza Hut Rocketeer novelty sippy cup (laughs) at the ready. So we're good to go. Clearly a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So please watch that. It is on Disney Plus, like all the movies that we review on this podcast. And we would encourage you all to get in touch with us. Uh, We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, at Medfield Film, you can also email us at, at info at medfieldfilm.com and let us know your suggestions for the show or suggestions for movies you'd like to watch or maybe even mid-season content. We have some ideas. Perhaps we'll do something. We don't know. You don't know. It's time to get some suggestions in. Yeah, let us hear. Like, I appreciate the people who have, like, commented at us on twitter and everything so let us 
Let us yeah, hear had, what you're thinking. Somebody was almost like practically live tweeting uh, one of our episodes the other day. <laughs> so, yeah, that was great. That was so, fantastic. <laughs> I need to be on Twitter more often, I guess. I need to see this. Yeah, you do. Yes, get on I Twitter. Do. Yeah, get on Twitter. Get on Twitter. Um, I mean, what else are you going to do? Twitter's awful. <laughs> <laughs> So we need to rate Twitter later, but we'd also like to thank our one and only sponsor, Todd Naprick of Binden Graphic Solutions for all our graphic design work. You can find him on Facebook or Upwork. Todd is a graphic designing machine. You need logos? Todd will do it. How about promotional materials? You bet. Websites? Forget about it. He'll get you rebranded, rebranding, whatever you need as far as graphic design is concerned. Todd's going to make you look good. Binden Graphics. Dot com. That's B-Y-D-A-N-D graphics.com. Check him out. Boys, anything else before we leave tonight? No, I'm just going to hit up the dog fights and uh, eat out of a trash can. <laughs> I always bid on the wolf if it's a wolf and a dog fight. Yeah. That's just a general idea. Oh, man. Watch out for those main streeters. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man, I'm worried about those main streeters. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, now we have phones, so if I have to go get a job immediately, I can let my family know. I'm going yeah. to down to run down to my local Hooverville right now and yes. fire yeah. up the Bust old... some heads. Fire up the old tin can and... Yeah. Old tin Lizzie. <laughs> but uh, we hope everyone's staying safe out there. I want to wish everybody the best. These are wild times. It is kind of oddly appropriate to do it a depression era flick there's a lot of a lot of weirdness going on so be safe and we will see you on the other side with the rocketeer good night Praises to the sky, rock, rock, for proud are we a mighty man, feel.